Acts 27, 27 through 44. But when the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food. It will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then, hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. The word of the Lord. I'm going to let you in on a secret. I usually don't read directions. Now, all the men in here know that's not funny because they don't do it either. We get a box in the mail, we look at it, we look at the directions, we throw them aside, and we begin to look at the object before us, and we begin to try to piece it together. Directions are a waste of time, aren't they, Bob? That's right, they are a waste of time. Uh, So we think, not only do we not read directions, but most of the time we don't want to ask for directions. We'll just look at our GPS on the side. But God forbid that we would have to stop and ask anybody for directions. I don't want to hear my wife say, stop and ask for directions. But if you and I are not careful, if we don't heed directions, it is very possible to go a long way, the wrong way. It happens too frequently to go the long to go a long way the wrong way we understand that we understand that the bible in this sense is god's directional map for our lives the bible is our directional guide it is our compass pointing north in this world that is easily That easily takes us off course and we easily can lose our way. 
In Psalm 119, verse 105, the Bible says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The scriptures are given to us to direct us in faithfulness to God in Christ. They they light for us the way. They light for us a path in this dark world. They, They illuminate our steps so that we might walk faithfully and navigate faithfully in a world that offers us little to no light. With this in mind, it is important that we understand that an important quality or necessary quality oftentimes of storms is that there is darkness. You can't see. That makes storms complicated. And that in turn makes life complicated. And the storms of life are far more complicated oftentimes than we really understand. You just can't look at a storm. You can't look at a storm in your life. You can't look at a storm in somebody else's life and just throw the directions away and say, I'm going to figure this out. Just look at it and say, oh, yeah, I know how all these pieces fit together. I don't need any help or directions or guide. It's far more complicated than that. Therefore, it is necessary that we understand that it is the word of God. It's in the word of God that we find the encouragements necessary that are needful if we're going to navigate through life and particularly through storms, trials and troubles, difficulties. It's the word of God in the word of God, that we find these encouragements that guide us to faithfulness until we get to the other side. I'm reading this text this morning, and I am reminded that there are some wonderful encouragements here from the life of the Apostle Paul, very instructive to us. So though the storms and uh, uh, the storm was continually raging around Paul, and though those around him were full of fear and, and fret, you notice that there is something about Paul that says his soul is anchored. When you look at that, if you're carefully enough, you'll see not only was his soul anchored, but ours can be too. We saw last week, Paul was sailing to Rome. He was sailing to Rome because he was going to have his case adjudicated before Caesar, you might recall. And in the midst of the trip, he encounters this wicked storm aboard this ship. Now, as we saw last week, because of the word of God, because of the promises of God, because Paul would heed the word of God, Paul was not overly distressed. He was not overly distressed. He was a seagoer. He's familiar with the seas. Spent many days and nights 
aboard ship. It is estimated that Paul probably traveled some 3,000 miles or more aboard ship during his lifetime. And as we saw last week, when the storm began to rage, the word of the Lord came to Paul, and Paul gave it to everyone on board when he said, Men, we're going to lose the ship, but we're not going to lose anyone. We're going to lose the ship, but we're not going to lose anyone. Now, at first glance, that might sound encouraging, right? But when you think about it, particularly if you're not so inclined to believe that, it still leaves a lot to be desired, Paul. Imagine, just imagine for a moment that you were on a plane, and the plane begins to shake. And the plane begins to reel, and the plane begins to rock. And uh, and the oxygen masks fall down. And the pilot comes over the intercom, and he says, men and women, the plane is going to crash. But take heart. We won't lose anybody. Oh, how comforting that would sound. And this is what Paul told them. The ship is going to sink, guys. But we're not going to lose anybody. This is real. Beloved, this is real. Because that's what we do. We look at each other and we say, you're going to lose your job. But you're not going to die. They're coming. They're going to foreclose on your house. But you're going to make it. Your husband's going to walk out. But your soul is going to be well. Doesn't sound encouraging at the time. But that's that's the walk of faith. We're going to lose the ship, guys. But God's God's going to hold us. And we're not going to die. It's amazing. This is Paul's faith. This is Paul's confidence in the word of God. Only the word of God would cause you to say that. Only confidence and faith in the word of God when everything around you says contrary to that. Paul could say, like Pastor Phil said last week, everything's going to be all right. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Everything's going to be all right. And therefore, even as the storm grew worse in our text, and the men on the ship grew more anxious, Paul continued to offer Encouragement. Encouragement. The Bible teaches some important ones this morning. If we would just lay hold of them, perhaps we would be encouraged and our souls, like Paul's, would be anchored in the midst of a storm. 
the first encouragement that Paul offers to these men on this ship that is going down. He offers this encouragement. He says, in the midst of the storms, you got to stay together. Stay together. But the tendency, beloved, the tendency in the midst of the trials of life is to separate yourself. The tendency in the midst of trouble is to tend to try to fend for yourselves. Unfortunately, this is what the sailors did. You see that? They have been 14 days now adrift, driven by this storm on the Adriatic Sea. And this storm after 14 days was not letting up. And so then by midnight, now remember, it's dark. And the storm is raging. And by midnight, they thought maybe in the distance they see land. Now that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's good if you see land in the daytime. Because you can navigate your way there. You don't want to all of a sudden see land at night. And so they think that they see land. And they need to know how far they are from the shore. Because they don't want to get too close to the land. They know they're going to wreck them amongst the rocks. So they drop a weighted line. That's how they determine how deep the water was and therefore try to navigate how far they were from the shore. They drop a weighted line, the Bible says. When they drop that weighted line, they found that the water was approximately 120 feet deep. Then they traveled a little further and they noticed they dropped another weighted line and all of a sudden the water was only 90 feet deep. They knew, oh boy, we're getting close to something. And so as not to want to crash against the rocks, they begin to drop anchors. And the Bible said that they dropped four anchors in the back of the boat, in the back of the ship. The sailors go to the back and they drop four anchors. And then the Bible says that the sailors say, we're going to just pray that for daytime, we're going to leave these anchors right here and pray that in the daytime we'll be able to navigate our way better because there are no headlights and there are no fog lights. But suddenly, under the cover of night and under the cover of the storm, the sailors make their way to the front of the boat, giving the impression that they're going to drop an anchor in front of the boat also. The Bible says that was not their intention, but that was a ruse. But what they intended to do was drop the lifeboat and to get on it. Abandon the soldiers, the prisoners, and everybody else. The sailors said, we're out of here. Paul gets wind of their intention. Paul apparently sees what they are doing. And Paul goes to the soldiers and says to the soldiers in verse 31... Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. The 
soldiers pay attention. They listen to Paul because it is clear that he's the calmest one on the whole ship. And they immediately go and they cut the lifeboat away from the ship. If the ship goes down, everybody's going down. Sailors, beloved, wanted to fend for themselves. But Paul said, "Mm -mm. we must understand that we are in this thing together. But unfortunately, this is what often happens to us in the midst of trials and storms. When I'm going through something, I run to the hills. I abandon ship. I, I, I abandon all others. I separate myself. I want to fend for myself. And Paul says, no. The way to survive the storm is that we stay together. Together. Beloved, this is central. This is, this is a central element of the Christian life. And that is that we, particularly in tough times, we stay together. There are, there, are, there are too many passages in Scripture that remind us of this for anybody ever to be comfortable with separating themselves. Too many one another passages in Scripture. We've heard them before. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Be devoted to one another. Romans chapter 12 and verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Galatians 5 and 13. Serve one another. Colossians 3 and 16. Teach and admonish one another. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. Sing to one another. And we are not simply told to do these things in good time. But we are to be engaging with one another, staying together, encouraging, loving, teaching, singing to one another at all times, particularly in bad times. No matter, no matter, beloved, no matter how bad it gets, you and I must understand that we are not Christians all by ourselves. Did you hear what I said? We are not Christians all by ourselves. You are not Christian alone. You did not get saved by yourself. Now, I know you like to think you did. That's because you live in America and everybody gets a vote. And my vote counts. But in the kingdom of God, you don't get a vote. He didn't ask you if you would be born again into his kingdom. He was gracious to you. He plucked you from the fire. And he placed you in his kingdom. He didn't do that by yourself. You do understand, Christ 
Understand this. Christ did not go to the cross just for me. He didn't do that. I know you like to think about it that way, but that's not true. He didn't go to the cross just to save me, get down, walk around another 30 years, and get up there and say, now I'm going to save Adrian. He didn't go up on the cross just to save you. He went up on the cross to save us all. To save us all together. This is why Jesus could say to the Father, Father, all that you have given to me, I have not lost one. Why? Because you just didn't give me one, you gave me all of them. That's what Romans says. Chapter 6 and verse 10. Christ died once for all. Not once and for all. He did that too. That's another passage. In Hebrews. But in Romans it says, Christ died once for how many? All. All of us. All of us. All of us. He died for all of us. He died for church. He died for his sheep. He died for his people. So that Christ, when Christ saved you, he saved you into the church, into the kingdom, into the community of his people. When you separate yourself, You deny the very nature of that salvation you claim to have. We are together. And Christ delights for us to stay together. And Sister Sledge said it, but Christ could have said it. We are family. I got all my sisters and brothers here with me. That's what the Lord will say on that day. He looks at his father and he says, Father, we are family. I got all my sisters and brothers here with me. That's how it's supposed to look now. All of us together. Don't abandon ship. If you're going to get saved, we're going to have to stay together. Principle number one, in the midst of storms, stay together. Encouragement number two, in the midst of storms, make sure you're eating well. (laughs) Isn't that what Paul says? When the morning came, when the morning came, Paul urged everyone, eat. Eat. Now, apparently, in the troubles and in the trials of this trip, they were neglecting to eat. Paul says, 14 days we've been on this trip, and I noticed that you guys haven't been eating. Therefore, verse 34, therefore, he says, I urge you to take some food. 
For it will give you strength. Not a hair is to perish from the hand of any of you. Why were they not eating? Why were they not eating? Apparently they had food. And presumably they had a cook on board. Who's going to go on a ship, on a cruise, on a ship, anywhere, and you don't have a cook? First thing the captain does, hires a cook. So apparently they had cooks and apparently they had food. And why weren't they eating? We know why, don't we? Because oftentimes, too often in the midst of trial and stress, we often neglect to do those things that matter most. And nothing is more crucial in the midst of trying and distressing times than that you are nourished. I know I've been there. You get concerned with the task at hand and eating and eating well particularly is a second thought. I mean, many, many times I've been busy doing my day and doing my work and busy at a desk or going about and I realize, oh my goodness, I haven't eaten all day. That's often the times when things go bad, when things turn south, when things turn sour. And yet nothing can be more important in the midst of those times than keeping your strength up, particularly at times of testing. This is not only true in the natural world, beloved, but oftentimes and unfortunately it's true in the spiritual realm as well. When the storms of life come, what is the first thing we neglect? Spiritual nourishment. We don't eat. How often, how often have I spoken to people in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trial, skip church. Skip Bible study. Skip discipleship. Skip fellowship group. Skip the Lord's Supper. And thus, when they need strength the most, they are malnourished. You talk to them and say, well, I was just busy. You too busy to eat? You too busy to open your Bible? You too busy. To fellowship with the saints? You too busy to come to the Lord's table? You too busy to pray? Beloved, if you're too busy to seek the Lord, you are too busy. I like what Bill Hybels, title of a book he once wrote. He says, I'm too busy not to pray. I'm too busy not to read my Bible. I'm too busy not to fellowship with the saints. I'm too busy not to come to church. I'm too busy not to go to fellowship group. I'm too busy not to seek the Lord. Why? Because whether you realize it or not, 
A bad storm is coming. So Paul said, guys, you better eat up. It's about to get rough. It's about to get rough out here. You do know that's why we preach, right? You do understand why we labor week in and week out to preach. It's not so that you can smile in the happy times. It's so that you will be equipped because a storm is coming. You need strength. You need to be nourished. The only way, beloved, the only way to face a storm properly is that you're nourished. And nothing nourishes like the word of God. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing nourishes like the word of God. Psalm 119 and verse 50 says, your word is a comfort to my, in my affliction. Your word gives me life. It is my nourishment. It is my sustenance. Jesus himself said that we do not live on bread alone, but more importantly, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is particularly true in moments of distress, moments of trial, in times of storm. You understand that the word of God is comfort food. It's a comfort to my soul as I'm going through the trial. The word of God is soul food. It strengthens my soul. It reminds me that it is well. The word of God is seafood. Causes me to see clearly in the midst of storms. That's why it says, the word of God is a lamp unto my feet. And a light unto my path. Nobody on that ship could see anything. Except Paul. Because the word of God is seafood. And you see clearly in the midst of trials. So, beloved, in the midst of storms, don't forget to eat. I don't care how bad it is. You get something to eat. I don't, I don't care how hard it is or how debilitating the trouble. Don't forget to eat. It's your only source of strength. It's the only way you're going to navigate and make a right decision. Is if you're rightly nourished. Upon the word of God. Encouragement number two. In the midst of storms. Eat well. Encouragement number one. In the midst of storms. What? Stay together. Encouragement number three. In the midst of storms. Whatever you can. And however you can, you hold on. 
I don't care what you grab. You grab something. And you hold on. See that? After the meal, they rid the ship of all the excess cargo. And, and you read, if you read, if you kind of, you know, it's hard to get the sense of the emotion of what's going on. We just read this like a newspaper. But while they're in it, this isn't, this isn't a newspaper clipping. I mean, this is reading like a scene from Master and Commander here. They are on this ship. And Luke, who is writing this account, is giving us a blow-by-blow account of how this ship is disintegrating all around them. Notice what he says. He says, okay, we decided we're going to cast up, we're going to cast off the anchors. They threw the anchors off. Because they knew if they're going to stay anchored, the wind and the waves are just going to crash against the ship and the ship is going to fall apart. They cast their anchors off. They're hoping they're going to make it to the land safely. They cast the anchors off. They loosen the rope on the rudders and they hoist the sail. Why? Because they're hoping that the wind will blow them into safety because they have lost total control of the ship. They hoist the sail. And what happens? They get stuck in the reef. They get stuck in the reef, and then the ship runs aground. The front of the ship is stuck in the sand, and the back of the ship is breaking up piece by piece by piece. And they say, if you can swim, swim. It's hard to imagine what is happening here. How did they feel as the ship was breaking apart behind them? They're all making their way to the front. But piece by piece, it's breaking up. It's going down. A couple of months ago, my, my wife and I were on a flight to Chicago, and there was a lot of turbulence, you know. Now, I've been in turbulence, bad turbulence before, isn't that right, Pastor Phil? We've been in some bad turbulence, and this turbulence that my wife and I was in on this, on this plane was, it was bad. I mean, it was bad. You know, now, I, I've done my research, and I know that planes rarely go down because of turbulence, okay? So I, I kind of know that. Now, now that you know that, I don't know if that's going to be a comfort to you because you're still going to think it's going down. But know that planes rarely go down. When a plane crashed, it wasn't because of turbulence, okay? That's free. <laughs> but while you're in the midst of the turbulence, it doesn't feel that way. And that plane was shaking really hard. I mean, it was really, really shaking. Shaking. And then all of a sudden, it dropped. Whoa. And we're like, whoa. And then it starts shaking again. And then all of a sudden, it really dropped. It said, whoa. And my wife, whoa. (laughs) 
She grabbed hold of me. And I'm like, honey? I mean, I appreciate that, but... uh, But in the midst of the turbulence, in the midst of the trouble, beloved, natural thing to do is just to find something to hold on to. And that's what happened. Those who could swim, could swim for the shore. But those who could not, what did they do? They found pieces. Pieces of the ship. Pieces of wood. To grab hold on to so that they might float in. Love it, it may seem like a small thing. And it may seem like only pieces. But when God gives you the peace, no matter how small it seems, it's enough. It's enough. So even, even in floating in on this piece, Paul doesn't lose his cool. Why? Because he knows this, beloved, that even in the midst of the storm, he was in the will of God. He knows that though this piece of wood is holding him up on this water, he is not floating in on this piece of wood. He's floating in on the promises of God. He's actually floating on the promises of God. Here's the point. God could have calmed the seas. He could have stopped the storm. He could at any moment kept the ship together. God could have did any number of things to keep his beloved apostle from the shipwreck, from having to float on shore on a piece of wood. But he didn't. And that should remind us, beloved, that just because your ship is wrecked does not mean you went the wrong way. Just because the ship breaks apart, it doesn't mean you made the wrong decision. When the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, God brought them over the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 15. Moses led them. You know where Moses was led to to lead them? Through the Red Sea into the wilderness, right to Marah. Why? There was no water in Marah. All the water was bitter. It's not because they made a wrong turn. They were going where God led them, and God led them to bitter waters. Job was led to a place of desolation. Not because he was disobedient, 
Not because he was unrighteous or wicked. Not because he was out of the will of God. John the Baptist was led to his execution. Not because he was out of the will of God. Your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was led to the Garden of Gethsemane and ultimately to the cross not because he was disobedient, not because he was out of the will of God. God promised Paul that he would get to Rome. He didn't promise Paul that he'd ride there on a flying carpet. He promised you, and he promised me, that he'd get us to heaven. But he never promised that you'd get there trouble-free, that you'd get there storm-free. Those are promises we make and try to hold God to them. It's like my children. We do like my children do when they were little. They say, Daddy, 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 can I do this or can I do that? I say, well, let me think about it. Let me think about it. And then when the time comes, say, Daddy, you promised. You promised I could do that. I made no such promise. And that's how we do with our Lord. Most of the promises that you hold on to, that you are mad at God for, he probably didn't even make them. You asked and assumed that your will was his. The promise, beloved, is not an easy life. The promise is eternal life. Christ didn't die for easy life. Christ died for eternal life. And he's promised. He's going to get you there. You maybe have to float in on broken pieces, but you're going to get there. All around you may be falling apart, but you are going to get there. Find something to hold on to. God has not fully abandoned you. Hold on. He's going to get you there. Billows may roll and breakers may dash, but I'm not going to stray. Why? Because he holds me fast. Paul knew he was holding on to that board, but God was holding on to him. That's why we sing through many dangers, toils, and snares. That's why Paul could say that. That's why we should sing that. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis God that brought me safe thus far. And you know what? It's God who's going to get me home. It may be on broken pieces, but I'm going to get there and shout hallelujah.
my soul will look back and wonder how I got over. Let's pray.